Welcome back, guys, to the 443 Podcast. Reese, this has been an amazing weekend of football. Indeed. And I saw something where uh, Chelsea Football Club became Boys to Men's new album <laughs> because I watched a bunch of boys led by Thiago Silva, Kukurea, and uh, Raheem Sterling yep. go out there and give the champions a game of their season. How are you feeling? I feel like you're, you're emotionally drained. You know, it's, it's been, a, been a long week, Matt. Um, you know, I switched auto insurance companies, which is like a big step, you know, in my, in my <laughs> young manly life. I'm kind of growing with this Chelsea team in a sense. Um, but what drained me the most was Spurs on a Monday and this freaking game today. Um, Cardiac Chelsea, man. That's, that's all they're known for. I mean, but this is the thing, though. Like, Potch said a couple weeks ago, he says, this team doesn't struggle against teams that are up for it. They struggle against a team that's playing a low block mm-hmm. where Chelsea has to be the team to pee on the front foot. In this circumstance, if you look over the past three games, Arsenal, a team that's front-footed up for it, you take points from them, which, I mean, in the form that they were in, you would expect Arsenal to win. You expect Spurs to win on Monday. Uh, with the form that they were in, mm-hmm. Arsenal get or Chelsea get three points from them, and then you jump into this game here, where it seems like when Chelsea play against a team that is like on the front foot, where it's all basically an evenly matched performance for both teams. Well, I've just been looking at this as this I noticed this in the uh, Chelsea Arsenal game that you guys have. I, I know that I this term is kind of out of play, but an engine room. Mm-hmm. You have the exuberance of youth and the inexperience of youth, and those are constantly clashing with your team. Yeah. You have the ability to run these veteran teams down, or even a team like Arsenal that's like grizzled young veterans. Yep. Um, and I'm not sure 100% what to make of Tottenham yet, but you guys seem to go toe-to-toe with these amazing teams because that's what you're built to do. Mm-hmm. You're not built to break down like the Bournemouths. Or not, Bournemouth's a bad example. Um, the the Everton's. The Brentford, Everton's, yeah. the Crystal Palace. Because we'll get to Bournemouth later, but you guys... Um, I, I've been really impressed in this this run you had. Um, I'm going to go over this and set the stage here yeah. and see how you feel about this. So on October 21st, you started this run of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven with an asterisk games of basically the top tier. Mm-hmm. Um, you drew Arsenal. You lost to Brentford. You drew – or sorry, beat Tottenham and drew Chelsea. From 12 points, you've gotten five. Yeah. Do you consider that a win? I think if you asked me a month ago – I think if you ask most Chelsea fans a month ago, if they take five out of a possible 12 points, that would be an exceeding of expectations. I was going to say that I thought you guys would have had five, but I thought you would have lost to, picked up points at Brentford and lost to one of Arsenal or Manchester City. Which is definitely fair. And I thought you would have beaten probably Arsenal instead because of our luck uh, going to the bridge. Um, To piggyback off that, much like the last two, the, the end of the Arsenal game, City. It, it seems like Chelsea just have these brief moments where they lose focus, like Gusto did against uh, for the cross when Saka played it, and then in terms of where Desasi and Thiago Silva were positioned when uh, Rodri scored. Was it Rodri that scored that, or Akanji that scored the mm-hmm. header in the first half? Yeah, Akanji um, was the equalizer. Because if 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 that's in the final minutes of that half, and we'll jump into the goals in a yeah. moment itself, but if if Akanji doesn't score that goal, you're looking at a totally different second half. But Akanji was able to equalize and make it 2-2 right on the brink of the half, where Pochettino has basically left that square one again. But after the break, yeah. to finish up this run that starts in um, mid mid to late October and ends on December 8th, yeah. or 6th, I'm sorry, you guys have Newcastle, Brighton, and Manchester United. That's why I said the asterisks. Gotcha. 
because because honestly, Everton's also finishing out your month of the, that kind of run. But I don't know if Everton's is here good. And this Manchester team we've spoken about, we don't know where they are. But what do you consider success if going into the next three games? And we're going to count Man United as a good team for this scenario. Yeah, they're 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 right outside the top six. I'm pretty sure in the top yeah, six. They're now. in the top. They're top six or seven right now. Yeah. So I mean. Honestly, with Newcastle and Manchester United specifically, um, Newcastle is a very high-energy team. They were very uh, injured this past weekend. We'll jump into their game a little bit later. But I feel like when when we return from the international break, it just depends on which Chelsea team we're going to be getting. Uh, Because there's two types of Chelsea teams, as you said, an inexperienced side who shows their youth, and then there's a team that shows their youth with exuberance and, and energy. And I was really impressed by Silva, the the veteran leader on this team. Me and him, if we were went to the same high school, we would have overlapped each other in terms of age, because <laughs> he's thirty seven and I'm forty one. Like I would have been a senior, he'd been a freshman, and he's up there with competing with the highest levels and playing with kids that are like in their early twenties. If if he was not at PSG for most of his career, you would almost consider him one of the greatest center backs of all time. If he was at a, a, a team in a better league. Um, just, just age is like fine wine, man. Um, I don't even like wine, but that just goes to show how good Tiago Silva is. But let's, let's get into this yeah. specific game. We've kind of set the stage for what's going on with it. But So I want to jump into the first goal itself um, in terms of was that a penalty or not? Matt, what was your reaction to that? I don't think it was a penalty. I think that he played the game and he won, but I don't think it was. I think if it had been another striker other than Holland... If that had been Callum Wilson for Newcastle, I don't think it would have been a penalty. I think Holland just sells it. He's so big and so striking on the field. He intends to do that. I've seen this Mm -hmm. dude do it so many times uh, over the span of this season, last season, even at Dortmund. This is a common tactic with him and maybe some other strikers as well, where they'll initiate the grabbing right around the shoulder area. And then right as they go to make their move, they're kind of dragging them with them, where Kukurea has no choice but to take hold of Holland because he's Mm -hmm. such a massive, brute Norwegian Mm -hmm. hulk. Uh, and to me, I think it was a penalty. But if I, I kind of agreed with Graham Lasso when he said, have Anthony Taylor let, kind of let it play out a bit and let VAR kind of decide, is this a, an actual... Uh, it has to be a clear and obvious error for yeah. it to be considered a penalty. So I, I kind of on the boat of the fence of it is a penalty, but I would have liked to see what the actual true clear and obvious error was because it was both sides. It was a 50-50 pull. Yeah, it was a coin toss to me. And in this big a game with this much on the line, because Chelsea are on the up, they just beat the number one team in the league. And then they've drawn the number and they ended up drawing this game. I would have just let them play it out. I would have hoped it would have been 51-49 for me. And I know most people would have been 50-50. Yeah. I would have waited a 1% towards Kukurea. Yeah. I just, I just, just to it, keep the game fair because it was only the 24th minute. I just find it funny because we talked to cut last week about how Anthony Taylor was demoted to the championship. He refs one game. I think it was a Coventry game in the second division. And there was a controversial penalty that he gave in that game. So I'm just like on the boat of like, why are we bringing this guy up if he's To not- ref this match. <laughs> exactly. And there was a couple calls late in the second half of the game where I felt like he completely lost control of, of certain uh, um, areas of the pitch. Now, let's go into the second goal uh, for the Chelsea. equalizer. Yes. And this is why we were talking about Thiago Silva. And honestly, the first half, I thought Enzo, Reese James, and Thiago Silva were the best Chelsea players on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Manchester City, Foden, uh, 
Holland and Rodri stood out to me specifically. And even Ruben Diaz, I thought, had a decent half until yeah. uh, the second half. But jumping in the second goal, it was very tactical again from Kukurea because he kind of held back Rodri when Thiago Silva was making the run into the uh, front post outside Kukurea of the is a dark arts master. Yeah. And I think he's finally starting to show that he does have some quality to him. It was obviously a tough first season to him, but this is the thing with, with fans. Well, man. he's a veteran in this team. Exactly. and He's and one the, of the three oldest players on the pitch that starts these games. And, and that's the issue with fans in England or just reactionary fans in general is they... they they're easy to hate a player because he has one bad season at the club. When he was going through his own, his house was broken into the first half of the season. That's traumatizing, you yeah. know. There's there's much more to the game, and I think Pochettino has also given Kukurea a clear idea of what he wants to have him play as, and that's a defensive left back. On to the goal. I mean, I, I thought Ederson was out of position because that is a savable shot. Um, Ederson was too close to that front post, and I think that it kind of exposed... Uh, that goal there. I just thought that you guys were your like you had talked late. We we were texting later in the game. You talked about how this team is showing its youth. I responded with this team is showing its youth both in good and bad ways. This was them showing their youth in good ways because they had the motor to get down there and cause that error for Ederson. Exactly. I thought that it's a two sided coin that Chelsea's playing that Poch is working with. But your best players are coming back. Reese James is being managed, but he's back. Yeah. And um, it's showing in these games. There was definitely when he, uh, against Arsenal, when he was subbed on, it was a little bit of some question marks if, if we should have subbed him on, which it didn't seem like he was fully ready yet to be subbed on in a crucial moment of the game against Arsenal. But, dude, the, the last two games, he has been uh, back to the normal Reese James that we expect. We just need him to stay on the field. Do you think at the end of the first half it was a fair to be given a 2 2 draw overall? I thought it was fair because, yeah. I mean, if you ask me who's the better team, I'm going to say City 99 yeah. times out of 100. Yeah. But Chelsea has grown into their team. They're grown into a team. And Poch, you can see his fingerprints starting to make this a good team. Um, I don't know where they're going to finish. I think they should be top eight. Honestly, if I were you guys, I would avoid the Europa Conference League with <laughs> every fiver you're being, even if that means you finish 10th. Yeah. But, but the, the thing is, though, is you can't we, – we need to sort of get into some sort of European competition before we run into some financial for, fair, uh, fair play problems. But, but yes, I thought this was a fair score going into this game. Yeah. City weren't perfect. They gave up chances. They could not compete with your guys' speed and tenacity at parts of the game, and I thought you guys deserved to be in this match at halftime. Into the second half, uh, personally, I felt the best – performer in that game was Pochettino. Uh, his subs, man, were, were game-changing. Um, even just bringing on Mudrik, who I'll discuss in a moment, uh, and I kind of skipped over the goal, we'll go into those goals as well, but uh, instant impact when Mudrik um, and Gustor subbed on. And I feel like those are the little things that Poch did so well where he almost out-tacticked, that's not a word, but he, he pretty much won the, the, the tugging battle against Pep, in my opinion, in that second half. Even though City dominated, there was just pockets and windows of attacking patterns that Chelsea just looked far better in that final third. Yeah, that's what this game ultimately came down to. City was, to me, like an 80%, and Chelsea was a 70%, but they had moments where they were like at a 90 Exactly. Now, but well, go into the second half. Um, so that third goal, um, again, I think you said it best. It was just the inexperience of Chelsea just lacking again. Um you know, Chelsea's a very defensive... Is this the one where Holland basically walked it into the goal? Yeah. yeah. Literally 
nuts into the goal there, like slid right in. Uh, just so much inexperience. In, in, in and Chelsea, throughout the season, until we ran into these tough sort of games against Arsenal and Brentford and, and Tottenham, is we were a very defensively sound team. We're starting to show our true colors here now that we're playing these big six teams where we're lacking in experience. Uh, Enzo Fernandez, after being one of the best players on the pitch, did not have a great second half. Uh, defensively, because he should have been tucked in a little bit closer to Cucurea. But what was your thoughts on that third goal? I had, I missed it because I turned around, and in the replay, I remember texting you, did Holland just, like, walk that into the goal? Because it literally looked, and, like, they were trying to give, like, reviewing a handball, and I couldn't tell if it was his hand after it crossed the line, which I don't even think should have been reviewed. Because, like, at that point, it should be a goal, done, go. Yeah. To me... I honestly thought that game was done after that third goal. I was like, man, City are about to just score two more, and it's going to be a 5-2 game. Uh, but I did not expect this resilience from Chelsea to be down not once, not twice, but three times in the game, being um, and each time making a comeback goal, which to me exceeded my expectations of what this team can do. Um, now we jump into uh, the third goal for Chelsea. Um, Raheem Sterling, man... Uh, uh, this this guy is is starting to be one of my favorite players. On Again, this team. your veterans are carrying you or helping you no, where right. they need to be. You're right. Because um, we forget Sterling may seem like he's been around forever, but I think he's only like 26, and he has played in uh, the championships or the season where Brendan Rodgers almost took them to the title, and then he goes to City and he's won two trebles with Pep, and now he's come to the City team, and, and he is a war. Scarred veteran in this league. Reese James was huge in the build-up to that goal as well. Um, two, two, honestly, City were not perfect defensively. Um, and this is a team that I thought is going to be one of the best defensive teams in the league this season because they uh, brought in Vardiol. Uh, they kept most of their core defenders with Ruben Diaz and just added Vardiol to that that group. But they made a lot of errors today. Um, two times in that build-up, Rodri should have cleared it. He tried to kick it, completely missed it, which gave Gallagher a free pass to Reese James. Or to Cole Palmer, who played a very like he it was a very lucky through ball to make to Reese James. Like it comes off the back heel of Ruben Diaz for Reese James to play uh, the cross into Raheem. Um, you just don't expect it from a City side to see this many errors, um, and I think that's maybe a credit to Chelsea, or it's just not one of those days for City. Um, but um, so we're basically at the part where it's tied three three, right? That is correct. What was so? When did City get their fourth goal? And I, I'm kind of because like the the ending kind of blurred it out of my mind. Yeah. So it was really uh, it was actually in the 80th, 86th minute um, when Rodri scored. And again, just lack of inexperience. Oh, the, the cluster, the, the that amazing play goal. Exactly. Where they they basically cut you guys open like a Arsene Wenger side. Yeah. Just just we looked like Swiss cheese, man. Yeah. Um, this t- honestly. After watching this game, although City drawed like or drew points with us, I am even more confident in my prediction that this team is going to be the team to win their the first team to win the fourth. Uh, I can't speak today. Yeah. The first team to win the four four Premier leagues, four Premier leagues in a row. Exactly. Um, but so the final penalty. Oh my god! Did you think this was a penalty? Because I thought it was a stone cold penalty as oh, soon as I saw it. Easily. I mean, the replay even just further confirmed it that he basically took out Ross' full left leg. But I love the the drama because Cole Palmer came from City on like what was it the the final week of the transfer yes, window? Yes. And forty three million. He goes up against his old team and he buries that penalty to draw the game. 
Guys. Against this guy who literally was his his teammate like three months ago or two months ago. Yeah. Uh, guys, honestly, if 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 you were in this household with me watching this game, um, just a bunch of depression and a bunch of high moments, just like the Spurs game. Uh, honestly, and I'll jump into my stoppage time question with you later, but this this Chelsea team manages to make uh, games of the season on back-to-back weeks. You know, Arsenal City or Chelsea was a proper London derby. Uh, Spurs-Chelsea, proper London derby. Mm-hmm. And this was just a proper football match. And this is one of the reasons yeah, why we love Proper talk, sip, talk, top six derby. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like when, when Chelsea play a team that are up for it, that are playing front-footed, that are not going to play in a low block, it's a totally different game because Chelsea loves to play with when both teams are in the game. They can't match the energy of a low mm-hmm. block team where they have yeah. the intensity to cont- consistently score goals. Because I think it shuts down this this drive that they have. Yep. When like We'll get to this later when Bournemouth played Newcastle. You saw in that final bit, same with the um, Wolves game against Tottenham. Yep. When these game teams are allowed to play, it's amazing football. And I... Again, I, I was I, when when they scored in the 86th minute, I was like, game's done. You know, Rodri just scored. It hurts, but man, this team showed resilience again. And um, like I said, I, I've given a lot of credit to Chelsea, but after watching that game, I'm just I'm I'm even more confident of City winning the league for me, man, because they're just too clinical in the final third, and I feel like we won't have they won't have another game where they make these types of mistakes at the, in the back. Um, what were your final thoughts on this Chelsea City game? I think I'm in the opposite camp of you because I took a lot away from this the Chelsea Arsenal game and they've done it they didn't do it against Brentford but they did it against Spurs and they did it against City. Um like I said my my thing new boys to men dropped a new album it's called Chelsea <laughs> Football Club because I watched these young kids galvanize into some sort of a team with a few veterans on the pitch and give one of the best teams in the world a game today. They would not quit and I loved it even though I'm an Arsenal fan, and I should have loved it. Yeah. I loved it. <laughs> hey, we're helping you guys out for the title run, mm-hmm. too. Um, but who do you want to cover next? Oh, sorry. What were your, you did your final thoughts, right? My last thought, I will say, is Nkunku will be back after the international break. Our best player that we signed way back in January to join in the summer is finally healthy. I am so pumped because this guy is the difference maker. I'm going to be patient with him for the first few weeks since he's been out for several months. He may not see the mm-hmm. normal Nkunku. But, dude, this guy is a serious, legit attacker, and I'm very hyped. So off of the peak of this game, I'm going to let you pick the next game because there's just three amazing games, and then we're going to go in descending order. Which one do you want to go? Because I know you have a team that you like, like I like um, the Hatters. So, funny enough, the next game uh, the next game Chelsea does play is going to be against Newcastle United. We're going to jump right into the Newcastle United-Bournemouth game. That's now, where I thought you were going, <laughs> but I wanted to give you that chance. To give it some background, uh, Newcastle had about a starting 11 team out uh, with injuries yeah. um, from the Champions League week. Uh, so really, I'm not too worried for Newcastle going forward. But I was texting Matt, guys, after that second goal. I was like, hey, as long as this Irola manager is there for Bournemouth, I'm a Bournemouth fan, man, because... The way they play is just so fun to watch. Uh, the attacking patterns and uh, the bow and arrow from Solanke didn't didn't he didn't he holstered it today? You know he went with like a uh, one two knockout on his first goal at the corner flag. It was all right, but you know I liked the little. Well, what was crazy was I was I had to go to my brother's birthday lunch with the, yeah. the extended family when this game was on, and you and the Bleacher Report were blowing up my phone to the point that my family was just like looking over to me like something wrong. 
Uh, this I'm, and again, credit to Newcastle because they played such a different team. They had a young player who started his first Premier League game. I think his name was Miley or something like that. Oh, the kid who looked like he was 16? Literally. Ba- basically was. And this just goes to show, like, Newcastle is in a true, normal rebuild. They're not doing it the city way where they are just going to fund this team with millions and millions of pounds mm-hmm. and, and give them a squad depth that's going to be in uh, there for the rest of the season. They're doing a slow rebuild to back this team and when you don't have the depth that a City, an Arsenal, a Chelsea have, and I say Chelsea because we have bought a lot of players, yeah. uh, our rebuild's a little bit different, but um, I think that just goes to show that this, as in the next few years, you may not see this this type of Newcastle team again because they're going to be a force soon. What I thought was interesting about this game is I came home and I watched this game while I did chores. Mm-hmm. And the first half, I really was just kind of bored on, and I'm glad I had laundry to fold and, and go outside. But the second half, it's like, um, we'll get into the, the game I want to cover next. It seemed like the two teams that should have won these games could not maintain the intensity they needed to mm-hmm. with the players that they're missing and the due to suspensions, due to injuries. And it just looked like Newcastle gave up at the 70th minute and Bournemouth's um, the, the, what me and me have wanted to see all season came out in full force and just knocked them apart. Yeah, and, and, and like I said, I'm not really worried for this Newcastle team because they're in seventh. They have 20 points. It's only one point behind uh, the sixth spot for, for United. And um, as long as they get healthy over the international break, I think we're have I think we pretty confident in Newcastle, yeah, going yeah. forward. Yeah. I think Newcastle's going to be in Europe, Yeah, a European spot. For Bournemouth, right. uh, before we jump into yeah. the next game, they are still sitting right outside that relegation zone. It's in 17th. Uh, yeah, man, I'm just, I, I love this team, man. Uh, I'm glad they got the three points. Exactly. So I'm going to assume the next game that you want to jump into is it Wolves Spurs? Yes. What did I tell you? <laughs> I got up and saw the last half of this game, and I was kind of like, ah, oh, Spurs are going to do it with this makeshift team. Well, I guess uh, Bostakoklu is back. <laughs> and I had to eat my thoughts at 90 minutes. And what a, like, like, he looks so mad on the pitch after that. I, in the non, on, on, in a non, non-biased perspective, I feel really bad for this Spurs team. Bias, hold that Spurs, but non-biased. The reason is because they lost their most important defender, which, uh, in Vandeven, who basically... Well, they lost their two of their most important defenders. Right, right, right. I'll get into Madison in yeah. a moment. But for Vandeven, I feel like that's a huge loss because... The way they play is such a high line, and Van de Ven is one of the fastest center backs in the Premier League, which enables Vicario to be sort of a Neuer role with a sweeper keeper. But, dude, it's a totally different squad when Van de Ven and Ma- Madison, because you're missing Madison's magic in that mm-hmm. game. And, and you also, even though he's a, a lumbering oaf who has a, base, has a lot of reds, you're missing Romero, too. Yeah. You Basically, the center of your defense is cut out, and then you lost your creative playmaker, the connection was gone for most of the game between the other, the rest of the team and Sun. Because this whole summer, that's all they've been game planning mm-hmm. for is to play this, this type of system. Are you worried? Because Bostakogli did say that Madison and Van de Ven are at least going to be out until December, maybe longer. Mm-hmm. You know, both of them. I think day. they meant until January, until the end of the year. Madison, I did hear, was going to be a little bit longer. Now, are you worried for Spurs over the next two months? Or do you think with... Um, you know, the international break coming at a good time for him to sort of play a little bit differently? Are you, are you worried about the Spurs team over the next two to three months? I'm going to do this as a, as a yes and no. So 
And I'm going to say yes if Postacoglu can't figure out what he has at the academy and what he has as his backup. Because Daniel Levy seemed to be buying players under Conte that didn't fit a Conte or Mourinho system. You know, low block. Yeah. Low block counterattack. Yeah. And um, Basuma is one of those players. And they also signed a young winger that I don't know if he's playing. And this kid that I, I love his look. He looks like a throwback to 10 Brandon years Johnson? ago. No, Brian Gill. Oh, Brian Gill. With yeah. the hipster mustache and the yeah. like shaggy haircut. Looking young, but also being could be in his late thirties. I can't tell with this kid. I just loved his look. I think I think you make a good point. Um, you know, if I was in Bostacoglia's situation with the players that I've the two key players that I've lost, probably, you know, two of the most important players for this system, in my opinion. Um I think they may have to go over the next two to three months reverting back to their low block counterattacking process to escape escape with points, remain in that top three, top two, top four race um, until you get your players back because this is going to be a tough tough uh, road ahead. So question off the top of my head for you. I listened back recently to our special that are kind of disjointed where you and me weren't able to sit together. And it feels like you and me have been separated for like a month and even it's only <laughs> Dude, been a week. Seriously. You and I disagreed on what... Um, Postacoglu did, Postacoglu, whatever you want to call him. When they were down to nine when men. When they were down to nine men. I come from the Arsenal point of view where when you're in a title race, you need to show up because you don't know how much two goals are going to affect you at the end of the season. It could be the separation between you and European football, winning a championship, you know, whatever. I got you. And I was like, why aren't you consolidating? Why aren't you just saying, this is going to be 2-1. Tuck into we're the done. low block. Tuck into a low block and say, this is going to be a 2-1. And we're going to try and pitch to some if we can and make it a 2-2. Well, the thing is, is there was 1-1 until the 70th minute. So, like, technically, if they go in a low block even earlier, you may escape with, with, with a point. Yeah. Now. The- but I, I can see that that's not his style. But when you go down to nine men, that's when I was like, maybe you should say, I'm going to put my style on the shelf. I know that everyone's calling it brave. But to me, if you don't know, like, if you, let's say you're in fifth and on a goal difference and that, you lose it by... Three goals. One goal or yeah. two goals, like, is this going to come back and haunt you? Because, like, two seasons ago, Arsenal was haunted by not basically having to have a red card against you guys and just drop basically every game at the end of the season, costing them top four. To answer your question, two things. One is exactly what you said. The reason I am, am happy with the way Bostokoglu did is because they were hard to break down. Um for for Chelsea at least you know they tried to play this through ball scheme with their patterns of of playing the through ball at the right time but it was exposed uh, by Vicario um and and you know they basically had Hoijberg playing center back for him and I think at that point I would sort of agree with you that jumping into a low block which Chelsea historically over the last season have struggled against they've struggled against a low block team so I'm in the same boat with you, man. I think for me, the reason I was just very proud of that Spurs performance was because they did they stuck to their guns and what today what their system yeah. is. But maybe I've just been having this roller coaster of three seasons with Arsenal. I look at that and I'm like, if you guys are going to be competing for stuff because you don't have European football, you need European football and you need that toilet bowl packed next year with Champions League revenues uh, to compete. Yeah, because right. I hate to say it, there's a lot of teams that are competing for those possibly five European spots, and I think Spurs, Chelsea, Man United, everyone is pretty much in that boat. Newcastle, you know, everyone needs those spots, and in that kind of game, I was like, man, that that could hurt you. Mm-hmm. And you know, 
I want to go back to the this, this game as well because I'm again, man. Gary O'Neill has just proven me wrong. Um, I feel like this guy is just a bit uh, an outstanding manager for this Wolves team. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not a poorly ran club. Uh, you know, it's basically run by an agent of Jorge Mendez, but this this dude has managed to get quality even without Neto um, to be clinical in the final third in those closing minutes to bring on Sarabia, uh, who you'd think who was brought in last season to be a really good player for them coming from PSG to not being the player that we expected last season to come on in the final minutes and be an instant win that game at 96 minutes 40 seconds i wrote that down he won the game for him Mm -hmm. i mean he played the assist and he had the goal like he was the difference maker while neto was out so uh credit to wolves uh tottenham i'm again i I feel really bad for that team with with the injuries so uh but who do you want to go into next we have a couple different options i i know we kind of do you so, want to go to the Everton game? Because I know you were impressed by them. So I'm going to have it in the order I have. Uh, okay. Let's give your flowers here. Uh, Arsenal at home, 3-1 win to Burnley. Um, just just Arsenal. Well, what's up, Matt? What was your reaction to the game? <laughs> uh, I just loved watching them turn the screw. Um, this is something that Man City couldn't do against Chelsea today is they couldn't just just ratchet that that into them to like put an end to it. For Burnley... Um, Company is going to be very, as a former center back, company is going to be pissed after this game because three goals were all basically from corners or set pieces, um, not necessarily from the direct set piece, but kind of deflecting out and the scissor kick from. So Zinchenko. what I found truly amazing about this game is they put a statistic, and I don't know if this is what the end was. It was twelve to two on corners, and I looked this up because this is my question to you. I, I know I've been kind of not the, the most engaged the last two weeks, but <laughs> right now here's the top ten corners. This season, I got this screenshotted right after the Man City game. 62 Tottenham, Luton Town 63, wow. Chelsea 63 corners, Brighton Hove Albion 65, Burnley 70, Aston Villa fifth with 73, and tied for third, Liverpool and Man City. Your top two corners, 84 for Manchester United. You know Arsenal's number one, but guess how many they have? That'd have to be around 90, right? 106. 22 more than United. And we're basically about a third of the way through the season. Is this a bug of Arteta's system, a feature, or is it his plan? I, I feel like the more corners you get uh, is more beneficial uh, because you and I have read a book, uh, and I saw the stat. In the Pyramid? In for, not, not the Pyramid oh. one. Soccernomics, I think. Oh, Soccernomics, yeah. Yep. Uh, after reading that book, I, I realized that set pieces are very crucial because most of your, not most of your goals, but a lot of, a big chunk of a team's goals come from set pieces. And I feel like if you're Arteta, you are only backing to uh, get more goal corners because that means you're getting either opportunities on target um, or you're getting deflections out of bounds for these set pieces. And you have big tree trunks in Saliba, <laughs> Gabrielle, and, and Declan Rice in there. Well, and what's crazy is because you're, they're taking so many in the games. Saka had a corner at the ninth minute that I just like put my hands in my head and I was like, what are you doing, Bakayo? Mm. Like, it was so bad. Like, even the commentators like, what was he doing there? <laughs> are you... With Kai Havertz, uh, he's been getting a lot of scrutiny because he missed like a header, like off a corner, uh, in front of goal. Are you, did he overall have a good performance in the open play, or are you sort of are you sort of on the boat with everyone else? Where when are we going to see the real Kai Havertz, or is there a real Kai Havertz there? <laughs> I'm kind of in the is there a real Kai Havertz? I don't know what he is, but he's giving me seven out of tens lately in these games. When we need players out there, we need somebody to like um, like we're playing Jorginho, yeah. and um, Jorginho is. He's pretty old, and 
we're putting Kai with him, and Kai's given a seven out of ten. And in these games, we're we're now almost as bad at injuries as Newcastle and Spurs. Um, I am just thankful that Kai's out there giving a seven out of ten. I think that's a very fair point. Um, honestly, you're either going to get a very lackluster Kai Havertz performance, or you're going to see the potential of a player that looks like one of the best players in the world. That's there's literally no in between with Kai Havertz, um, and that's sort of the struggling part where maybe under a season and an off season with Arteta, and for next season. We may see a very revamped Kai Havertz that I'm, I think will be very high on at that time. Uh, for Burnley, you know, in terms of the results, you, this is just one of those you have to dust off and move on because yep. you're playing against one of the best teams in the league. Uh, but they are now bottom of the table. Uh, jumping into the next game, one of the games of the weekend, Matt, that you alluded to, Crystal Palace at home defeat uh, to Everton, 3-2 for Everton. What was your thoughts on that game, Matt? I feel bad for Roy. Yeah. I just... I was hoping this would. This is there's certain games that American people like go don't understand what it means to end in a draw, mm-hmm. and this is a game that should end in a draw for me. I, I had a draw predicted last, or maybe I, I think I actually gave Everton a win, but on like a one nil. I did not see one Everton scoring three goals. I didn't think that would happen for the well, next three years in my well, life. One was in like the opening minute. Yep, and like and Dominic that Calvert- is not a uh, Son Deitch. Exactly. Team feature. Exactly. In DCL, uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is looking like the Dom- Dominic Calvert-Lewin that we saw pre-injury, which is going to be huge for Deitch going mm-hmm. the rest of the season. Um, for Palace, dude, Eze is, is going to be a legit player, mm-hmm. man. Uh, the potential in that kid is crazy. Did you see that stutter he did where he just completely faked out the Everton goalie on that penalty? And then... And- and then he could just stood there and did like a little, yeah he did the like they did a cross <laughs> like he was fighting a vampire or something. He drawed two penalties in that game, or one was a flop, I guess. But there was a move on the goal line where he fainted right like he was going to be cutting back inside, and then turned his back and fainted the other way to go baseline on the goal, which gave him the penalty. And dude, this guy is going to be crazy. Uh, I think in the next two to three years, he's definitely going to be at a huge club. Um, but. Credits Everton. Uh, in terms of results, I feel like that's a real six pointer uh, for Everton, mm-hmm. um, or not Everton, but Everton and Palace. Yeah, Everton and Palace. Because I, any team that's not in the top ten, I think you do this like last season. You run the right, the run the risk of being drawn into the relegation fight, yeah. and both these teams are in that kind of zone where they can't take anything for granted. And that was a big three points for Everton. And you know, right now on the table, Everton is now right behind Palace with uh, looks like. 14 points so uh yeah the bottom 10 man is going to be a very close battle over the next couple months i'm very interested to see let's jump into the next year game guys um the score was one nil but i felt like this was and again it's it's against luton but i feel like this was one of the better united performances uh that we've seen this season in my opinion uh, i feel like they had a little bit more attacking prowess but again one nil to Manchester United. What was your thoughts of the game i kind of agree with you on that but i feel like they were like arsenal fans want and the team wants Kai to get a goal, an open play goal. I think this is the Hoyland gets an open play goal. And if they had just played to win the game, I think this would have been 3-0. You can tell this team is lacking confidence because there was a play. Uh, it was around the 70th or 80th minute when Anthony played a through ball to Marcus Rashford. A little bit to the left of the PK spot. It's rolling perfectly. And uh, Marcus Rashford's perfectly angled for him to take a one-time shot, bury it either side. It's most likely a goal. What does he do? He takes a touch and then shoots it. This te- that Marcus Rashford of last season buries, buries that every that. time. That's what I'm saying. I think that they are been 
I don't know if they've been instructed, but I feel like everyone kept trying to give Hoyland a chance. They're trying to make him a focal point, and he couldn't do it. And yeah. But I think they had to win this game off of what happened mm-hmm. at the Theater of Nightmares in Copenhagen in the yep. Champions League. Even though we're not a Champions League-focused podcast. They play a big part of the league. Yeah. You know, we, we have to talk about it. Um, and, you know, I'm sure if, you know, over the international break, we can do maybe a little bit of a Champions League recap with you guys a little bit. Uh, but, again, we are a Premier League-focused uh, group. Uh, but yeah, I'm, once this team gets some confidence, and maybe once they get some players back from injury, we could start to see the, the, the United of last season. Are you still Ten Hag out? Yes. Okay. Um, but that might change if they start getting some results because winning papers over everything. I know they are missing a lot of injuries, like Harry Maguire still playing in this team <laughs> as a starting center back. Um, Maguire. No Varane, no yeah. Butcher. Um, but. Like Luton, Luton still could have drawn this game. There exactly. were a couple of chances. They should have been up 3-0 if they had been just playing to win. Like you said, if Rashford last season was there, this would have been 3-0. No chance of a Hatter's draw. Yeah, I think with Luton, uh, they just lack a little bit of quality in the final third. Tahith Chong seems like their best player mm-hmm. uh, cre- uh, creative-wise, but yeah, it's... It's going to be a tough season for Luton. Manchester United, I think, will continue to see these similar results. Hopefully, the international break gives them a little bit of a boost as well. Jumping into uh, the Sunday slate here, uh, we have a Austin Aston Villa with a comeback win. Not a comeback, but after their defeat last week, defeating Fulham at home 3-1. to one. What was your reaction to the game? It just looked like the Aston Villa that they appear to be every now and then where they just shut everything down. I know it was a late Fulham goal. It seemed like a tailor-made Unai Emery game. Yeah, and with them being back at home, you know, the win streak continues at home. They're now at 13 straight unbeaten games at home. Uh, it's looking like a true fortress there uh, for Villa. Um, for the table, man, they, they're in fifth. Uh, they're right now one point behind Spurs, who were just at the top of the group. So this team right now, I mean, they're in a true top four race because they are within three points of first place. So um, even though they took a bad result against Sheffield last week, we'll jump into Sheffield next. Um you, you yeah. can't. You, they just got to continue the form. Uh, for but I say we just get, because that there's a couple of games that are just beating games, and yeah. this Villa team, this Villa game, fell into one of them. One that wasn't a beating game. I know you have some thoughts on one of these two teams. I'm setting you up for this one. Sheffield Brighton. Reese, what's your takes on Brighton? <sighs> Deserve We we need to have a conversation, man. Not in terms of being sacked or anything, but this I've backed this team all season, continued to pick them uh, over the favorite team, uh, and they continue to disappoint. Um, they went down to 10 men in the 70th minute, and that's what pretty much just gave uh, Sheffield United to run all over them in the last 20 minutes. And they honestly could have walked away with three points. Yeah, that's what I saw. I was just like, I was flipping between the games, and I saw the first 20 or 30 minutes, I saw a Brighton team that looked like the Brighton of beginning of the season, last season, and then when I came back, I'm like, what happened? I thought this was going to be a 3-0 Brighton win. Um, I'm trying to pull up their starting lineup. I just want to see where Pascal Gross lined up today because he just lines up everywhere. So today he played right back after playing center mid uh, the week prior. I mean, I don't know if this team is battling injuries or if Deserby is just trying to play checkers or something with this team. Like, um, so Brighton, I again, I don't know how I'm going to pick you going forward. Uh, we'll have Me a neither. we'll have a preview for them for the games in two weeks, but we'll also do another podcast where we give our more accurate predictions because mm-hmm. by then we'll have some updates. But who do you want to cover next? Do you yeah. want to cover the Liverpool just mashing a Brentford or the yeah. Forest West Ham? We we have to we have to end it on a on a good game, so okay. we'll do the Liverpool throttling of Brentford. Um, honestly. 
uh, you called them the tiny horse in the title race uh, a couple weeks ago, Matt. Do you feel like that's a little bit disrespectful, or are you still calling yeah. them the tiny horse? No, I think they're a, they're they're a, they're a regular sized horse. <laughs> um, I just didn't know how this midfield was going to shake out, yeah. and I was wrong. I I think that it's you know it's still four horses now, four equal horses because of what your team did. They're. They are on the track of um, the Liverpool of two seasons ago, mm-hmm. uh, which is scary uh, because this team has totally uh, revamped their midfield and managed to build chemistry off of that midfield instantaneously. Sabolzi, uh, probably one of the toughest names in the league to say. I'm going to call him Dominic. Dominic okay. is his name, his first name. He's been the game changer for Liverpool's midfield. Uh, McAllister, who had to take a little bit of an adjustment where he was more of an attacking midfielder at Brighton, now he's playing that holding role for Liverpool, and he's just played it outstanding. Um, Liverpool going forward, I am I am very nervous about how good this team could be because, especially with the break coming up, they could yeah, be revamped. But not to mention, Luis Diaz's dad was rescued by um, Colombian authorities. Oh, yes. uh, shout out to 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 Mr. Diaz there. Uh, the nightmare's over, man. Uh, for Brentford, uh, level on points with Chelsea after defeating them four four and four is their record. Like Chelsea, uh, Chelsea tied four four to City. Ironic. Um, for Brentford, I think it's one of those games you dust off because Liverpool mm-hmm. are such a good side. Yeah, um, but let's get into this. This was a shocker to me. This was this crazy of a game. Um, Forest at West Ham, 3-2 to the Hammers, but what a match. I I said this a couple weeks ago. This Nottingham Forest team has some sauce to them. They got some saucy little, little players, um, but man, I did not see them scoring uh, this this type of high scoring game. I think I had it like one nil to the Hammers uh, a couple uh, last week. But um, do you think this West Ham team is a team that we could maybe see finishing in a Europa League conference spot, or you think they're going to be right at the top ten area? I think they're going to finish in eighth. Okay. Um, but what I was going to say was Bowen and who's that? The other gentleman with the English almost English last name. Those two guys just look like they were out to win it. Ollie Watkins? No, like something Pouser or something. Or he scored the winning goal. I'll pull it up here for you guys. Um, I believe. Well, the winning goal was Suchek. Oh, Paquetta scored, and then it was Bowen, and then Suchek. Okay. Well, there's another guy on this team that just seemed like he was in the thick of everything, just like Bowen. Cresswell? No. <laughs> it was a, it was one of those hyphenated English names. Uh, no, we'll, I'll figure it out for you guys on the break. <laughs> but but back to the game. Yeah. I mean, th- this is just one of those types of scenarios where uh, West Ham, although they were sort of um, playing on the front foot, I mean, this Forest team has sort of turned into a low-block defensive uh, organized group where typically we see this team more of a front foot willing to play pound for pound with other teams. But they've gone to this low block model. Ward Prowse is his name. Oh, James Ward Prowse. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he's the big. He's been the uh, big engine change. Uh, he's been the replacement for Declan Rice. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a dead ball specialist too. But I was just there was so much good football this weekend. Um, like I knew you were worn out. I was kind of worn out. I want to just round out the re- relegation battle right now uh, before we jump into our next segment. We'll take our break and jump into the next segment. Burnley is sitting at the bottom right now, four points. Sheffield United, 19th with five points. Luton, right on the brink with 18, or in 18th place at six points. Oh, six points. Yes, sir. And then Bournemouth. All right, we are back with the preview of after the interlaw, basically. Yeah, so guys, take these predictions with uh, a grain of salt because this is going to be two weeks from now. When we do our podcast, um, 
whatever the second week of international break is. That'll be more of our solidified predictions because we'll have a better idea of who's going to be fit or not. Uh, honestly, you should take all of our predictions with the grain of salt because we're doing this a week in advance. Yep. Um, let's, what's the first game for us, man? Liverpool versus Man City at 5.30 in the morning on a Saturday for us out here. Just, just fantastic to live in Arizona. Manchester City's at home. Uh, in the last segment, we talked about Liverpool being in a real title race. Uh, we, of course, know Manchester City is already in every single title race. Um Huge game, man. Um, every time they play is just fireworks and some of the games of the season. What do you think that, that game's going to end up with? So there's so much that factors go into these games, and this is one that I really wish we didn't have an international break for because Manchester City just got ran for n- almost 100 minutes mm-hmm. into the ground, and Liverpool had an easy game. If they had had a Champions League game and a Europa League game midweek going into this, I would say I would give it to Liverpool 3-2. Yeah. to two. But ultimately, because I don't know what's going to be coming, and these teams could be well rested, could be recharged. I'm going with two two. Yeah, I think that's a fair a fair prediction. I was going to say the same uh, because you know, again, with the international break, we don't know who's going to who's actually going to be fit enough or yeah. healthy enough to be in those games. I completely agree with you, man. I, I think it's going to be a very uh, entertaining two two draw as well. All right. Next up, we got then that morning we got Bournemouth at Sheffield United. A battle of the bottoms, or cellar dwellers. Huge, huge, huge game. Uh, some huge games this weekend now that I'm looking at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a real well, six-pointer. Games of big implications. Yeah, <laughs> you're right, you're right. A, hu- a real six-pointer for this one. Um, I've been on the Bournemouth train all season. I'm going to stick with Irola and that group. I'm going with a 2-1 win. Oh, I'm going 3-2 to the Blades. Okay, okay. <laughs> May have to put a lunch bet on that one. What's gotcha. the next game, Matt? We'll have to bet some little Miss Barbecue on there that. There you go, there you go. What's the next one? Uh, all right, next up is Brighton at Nottingham Forest. I'm low on Brighton, too. I've given this a 0-0 draw. Man, every time I say I'm not going to pick this team, they end up playing a team that's like not to the level we expect them to play the week after. Um, Forest put in a really good performance against West Ham. They put in two weeks of good performances, and Brighton's put in two weeks of meh. Two weeks of international break. Um I feel like it plays a huge part for in Forrest's favor, actually, because this is a team that's not going to have very many international players called up. Brighton. Just Matt Turner, right? Yeah. <laughs> if, yeah. And then Brighton players, uh, you know, we'll see a couple more of them. I'm going to go with... I'm gonna get, I, I said last time I'll give them one more opportunity. I'm going to give them one last chance. Although they're away, I'm going with a 1-0 win to Brighton. <laughs> oh, here's, another, here's another one that's a little kooky. Yeah. West Ham at Burnley. Like Burnley has been the whipping boy this season, um, but there's still a team there, and Bournemouth's shown that they're a team. Yeah. Will this be the chance where you know David Moyes can get Vincent companyed? <laughs> it's a possibility. Um, I just think this team lacks too much quality and has too much youth in their side. Uh, company's trying to build a real project with this Burnley team, which I fully respect. But when you're a new team in the in the Premier League, your first main goal is to stay up and then actually initiate your rebuild for the next season. I'm going to go with a Hammers win, uh, a comfortable Hammers win, 2-0. I got 2-0 to the Hammers as well, even though I kind of talked it up at the beginning there. <laughs> What's the next game? All man? right, Crystal Palace at Luton. Crystal Palace traveling up to the commuter town of Luton. I feel like this might be one of those underrated games of the weekend uh, because Luton are a pretty fun team to watch and Crystal Palace are also a pretty fun team to watch. Um, again, I think the experienced Premier League side will take the take the win here. Uh, I'm going to have it as a 1-0 Palace win. 
I have a one nil palace as well. We're on the same wavelength on we're, that one. We're we're agreeing too much outside mm-hmm. of that ship. <laughs> well, here's here's one we're probably not going to agree. Chelsea at Newcastle. I'm ready for this nightmare to be over of all these games, man, because uh, I don't know which Chelsea team shows up on a weekendly basis. Uh, because I mean, Newcastle is a very high energy team. You know what type of Newcastle team we're expecting them to be healthy after these two weeks. Um, Do they get um, Gimaresh back from suspension for this game? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Um, man, that I, leads into mind. I'm predicting one nil to the Castle. Okay. Okay. I was expecting you to be one nil to the Blues. I'm not ready to give that much faith into my team on a on a non-biased perspective yet. Bias, I'm gonna say, oh yeah, you know, Chelsea one nil. But in this circumstance, I think it's gonna be very close contested. I think it's gonna be. Another very entertaining game because that's what Chelsea have been producing. Two to two in a draw. Okay. And next up, Arsenal at Brentford. And this is the last game of, of, the, Saturday. of the Saturday slate. Uh, Brentford, one of the best low block teams in uh, the Premier League, but they're f- facing one of the best clinical teams in the Premier League. So I'm going to have this in a very uh, close contested match. Uh, I think Brentford will give you guys a little bit of problems, but I think it will ultimately end up a 2-1 win to the Goons. Ooh. So I have a bad feeling in my heart, just like I did before Chelsea um, Spurs. Okay, I'm picking the same scoreline, but flipping it two one to Brentford. Wow. Okay. So let's let's talk about this as a as a as a. So this is non biased for me, which is, is which I respect. It's off brand for me. Yeah. I'm usually Arsenal till I die, but I just have a. I had a feeling when we were picking the Spurs Chelsea match that Spurs were going to have trouble. Hmm. I just I kind of feel that. Arsenal's pretty injury depleted. We're pretty suspension depleted, and we lost. We're injury depleted, and we lost Fabio Vieira for three games. Um, I I just have a feeling that Brentford might do what they did to us at the opener from two seasons or three seasons ago, and just get us kick us in the nuts. And again, we may have a different prediction come our official prediction uh, a few pods from now when the Premier League starts yeah. back up. But I mean, I'm with you, man. Brentford is a very uh, solid, organized team. Um, I think we need to see uh, a healthy Odegaard back in this lineup to give you full certification that Arsenal's going to win this game. Yeah, we need Odegaard back or, or Partey back or somebody to come there's, back from injury. There's a lot of uncertainty with this Arsenal team against this Brentford unit. So, As um, it stands right now, yeah. that's my prediction. Now it may change next week and it may change the week after that, but yep. if you take these two teams against each other right now, I'm thinking of Brentford's going to do us. <laughs> Matt? What is the Sunday slate game? All right, Sunday we have starting out with Spurs at Aston Villa. Huge, huge game. Uh, as I said, is this is fourth versus fifth right now. That is correct. Um, as I said in the last segment, uh, Villa are within three points of the top spot. Uh, that means obviously Spurs are, are within that uh, three points as well. Um, this could be a six pointer for the top four. Uh, mm-hmm. I know many people aren't given the respect for Villa to be a top four team as of yet, um, but I'm high on the men. I think. In this current Spurs team, and again, if nothing changes, uh, we'll see if Romero will be back for that game as well from suspension. I'm going to give this to a Villa 2-0 win at Spurs. Ooh, I'm giving um, Villa 2-2. Okay. I'm giving it a draw. I think that's a fair result. Um, Only reason I have it as more of a, a dominant Villa win is because of the Spurs missing their two of their best players, or most important. That's why I'm players. going for a draw, because I think that if... They still have enough quality mm-hmm. to obtain a draw. Yeah. I got you. What's going to end us for that Sunday slate, sir? We have Everton hosting Man United. At, um... So I just want to start with this. Everton have been 
in the last three or four games been one of the best teams in the Premier League. Uh, they've won, what, three straight now? Four straight? One of mm-hmm. them, Something like that. United, we don't know what type of team we're getting on a weekly basis with this group. Um, Matt, I want you to start with your prediction. Well, I was hoping I could go last because I'm picking Everton 1-0. Okay, okay. See, I would tend to agree with you uh, because of this uh, depleted defensive uh, United team. I'm going to say this expecting uh, players like Varane to come back. I'm going to give it a 1-1 draw uh, on the cards. I'm probably going to get proven wrong. This could be the game where um, Hoyland comes alive and they win 3-0. But... We, we see the normal 10-hack system mm-hmm. back. I gotcha. Again, the international break, it, it, it is a good time for... We are back with stoppage time. So, I'm going to kick this one off. Usually yes, it's not doing the, the intro stoppage time question. So, dating back to the COVID season, just the last three seasons... In your opinion, what has been, and this is just a personal perspective as a fan of your team, what has been the best Arsenal game that you have watched? Just not not considering Arsenal performance, but best back-and-forth game. You know, for example, you have United-Arsenal beginning of last season, one of the games of the year. Um, just just best games. And, oh, you gave me a head-scratcher early. Okay. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think beating City... In so tied, both of them involved Man City beating them in the semifinals of the FA Cup in Arteta's first season. Okay, that's a great pick, actually. And then this season's beating them with you know just that kind of the opposite of the Chelsea game. The watching the two tactical heads just hammer each other. Watch that chess match, that six-dimensional chess match that those two were playing. It was a tense game, uh, especially because you guys couldn't create much. City couldn't create much, but mm-hmm. it only took a deflection to actually certify that win. Martinelli coming on late, who the doctors advised him not to play to win the game. Yeah. Um, but kind of both ends of the spectrum of us with City, where the first time I think Arteta played City in a competitive match, he won, and then this time they won. But then everything in between has just been us getting like humbled by the champions. See, the reason I came up with that question is because Chelsea has produced such entertaining matches over the last three weeks uh, mm-hmm. for the Premier League. Uh, for me, there's two. One is against Manchester City in the COVID season where Chelsea won 2-1 to one with the Pulisic counterattack solo solo goal that was just like, man, this guy is going to Was that be... part of his hat trick? No, no, he didn't have uh. a hat trick. But that was one of those games where I was like, this this dude Pulisic might be one of the legit players for Chelsea. I mean, he's Ult- doing it in Italy right now. Yeah, right? ultimately didn't work out for Chelsea with injuries, but as you just mentioned, he's killing it for Milan. Second game, last season, may have been one of the triggers for Tuchel being sacked, but uh, the 2-2 draw against Spurs last season where... It was probably one of the craziest London derbies I've ever seen uh, because there was just so much action. You had Tuchel and Conte head, pretty much going head-to-head on the pitch side. Afterwards, they were stuck shaking hands, you know, where they were pulling. Oh, yeah. And then even the no-call when Anthony Taylor gave me depression this game, uh, when Romero just openly pulled the back of Kukurea's yep. head to the ground, no call was given, and... VAR didn't even bother to review it, where, honestly, Romero should, should have been suspended for several games with that. Uh, it's just, it goes to show that uh, proper derbies, man, bring out the most in these teams. And uh, uh, this is why we love football. Well, so that brings me into my question. This is kind of a softball one that I thought, but maybe it's changed now. Who do you think is Chelsea's greatest rival? One in London. Yeah. 
and two in the league now? This is a great question. Uh, because I think I know the answers. Because Arsenal is proper. Arsenal and Spurs are the London rivals. Like, you know, in terms but of... But you've been nudging your way into our thing. Same with West Ham. Because, yeah. like, you're just kind of like going, oh, can I be in the North London Derby? Side note, guys, I hate every London team from a biased perspective, even uh, Fulham, even though they are an innocent group. Do you even have Crystal Palace, even though they're kind of down there by themselves out no, of the way? No, I don't I don't mind Crystal Palace. That's, that's the same with me. Like, I hate every <laughs> London team except for Crystal Palace. Because uh, their fans showed me love. I give them respect. They'll always have peace in my heart unless they're playing uh, Arsenal. See, there's two, there's two points. There's who is your biggest rival and who do you hate the most? So my, I'd say Chelsea's biggest rival is Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, because every single game when Chelsea are doing their walkouts, you know. And what's crazy is West Ham's biggest rival is becoming, because Millwall is probably not coming up this season. Mill. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> is Tottenham becoming everyone's, like, so I'm working on a project, a, a book, and I have, London Hates Chelsea is one of my title chapters, where I break down the dynamics of London with. You might need to switch it to Spurs, man. Yeah, I might need to switch it to Spurs. But to I, me, it's because you guys have had two different ways of yeah. life. Uh, and the reason I say Spurs is because every time Chelsea or whoever they're playing walk out, they have their theme music where Chelsea are doing their little claps, and then they say, we hate Tottenham, Chelsea. That's what they say every single game to make it known that they hate the Tottenham Hotspurs. Now, personally, the team that I hate the most is Liverpool. I mean, this team frustrates me because... Every single time we played them over the last six or seven meetings, it's been draws in the 90 minutes of the game. Uh, they beat us in PKs uh, in the FA Cup, uh, or maybe the, it was Carabao Cup and the FA Cup actually last season or two seasons ago. And it seems like neither of us can get one over the other. Uh, we had the draw earlier this season. There's just something about that pool. You guys team. were both so incomplete in yeah. that game. Like, you. like It was the, Liverpool's new yeah. revamp midfield, it was a Chelsea totally different team. Uh, but yeah. Pochettino being bare for like two months. Yeah. Like with how many players did you bring in in the transfer window? Like an entire team? Yeah, 68 maybe. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd say personally Liverpool, overall rival, definitely Tottenham. Okay. Matt, you wanted to close out the show uh, giving a shout out to our Phoenix Rising group out here in Phoenix, Arizona. If so, you guys are listening in Kazakhstan or Russia or, or Belgium any, or, or the Netherlands or anywhere in Europe, uh, we, we have a semi-pro team out here, not in the MLS, uh, called the Phoenix Rising, who are in the championship. Matt, go ahead. Yeah. So it's oh, our friend Rafa is a ultra for this team. He's at every game banging his drum, and he... Wanted me to give a shout out to this um, UCL final tonight at five o'clock local time in Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix Rising versus the Charleston Battery in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, I just I hope the Phoenix Rising can win this and bring another title home. I honestly, uh, that uh, they were in the semifinals and their game was on TV and I was watching it and they went down I think one or two nil and I was like oh I'm turning this off Phoenix Rising lost but. Come to find out, I walk into the podcast today, and Matt's like, we're actually in the final today. So, I mean... Yep, they beat... The, but the, what I love is the names of these teams. Like, MLS <laughs> tried to name some of their teams, and then they'd given up and just stolen names from Europe. Literally, yep. <laughs> There's some USL teams, United Soccer League team that do that, but two proper American teams, the Charleston Battery and the Phoenix Rising. Side note. Didier Drogba actually did play a season for Phoenix Rising, mm-hmm. for he those did. who didn't know. So. When they were still in Tempe. Yep. And now they're by the airport in Phoenix, Tempe. Um, but 
Um, I'll be coming back. I'm going to see, we might be able to get a, one of the ultras on this podcast. I'm going to see if I can get him to come over next weekend for our thing to talk this game up to kind of give some, but I can't make any promises because he's a wife, he has a wife, he has kids, he's got a life. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'd say up to this point, uh, Phoenix, uh, Arizona as a whole is probably, in my opinion, one of the bigger footballing states uh, in the U.S., and we didn't even get a city to host for the World Cup, which I find personally disappointing, which I understand the heat, but you have Arizona yeah. Stadium having a, a closed roof. You have AC. a 65,000-person stadium in western Phoenix suburbs that has hosted some amazing games for U- U- or, I'm sorry, Mexico, not even USA, USA yep. versus Mexico, but... Mainly, they basically have home games for Mexico in Phoenix, Arizona to sell 65,000 people. I grew up in the shadow of this stadium. My parents' neighborhood is right across the street from it. And there were games where you couldn't do anything because the entire like city, every his, every Mexican descended person in the entire valley came out to watch this game. Yep. Uh, so it's just disappointing. Uh, hopefully by 2026, uh, me and Matt will do a special episode out in L.A. or one of those stadiums that they're going to be hosting. for some Kansas City so we can get some barbecue. And that's fair. You know, we'll we'll see what happens in the future, guys. Uh, massive 443 episode today. I'd say probably one of our favorites up to this point. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening. Matt, close us out. Man. Live long and watch some football, lads. Later.